Uh, last week, I talked to you just a minute about to get, it's called Hashtag Together 2016. Hashtag 20, uh, uh, Together 2016. I'm going to show you something here real quick. I hadn't planned on this, but uh, that, that often happens. Um, there was a gathering in Washington, D.C. Uh, last uh, week or so in which um, uh, some estimates say, if I can find my file here, some estimates say that 400,000 Christians uh, showed up uh, to pray and to seek God's face. Uh, here's a picture of it, if you're interested. Uh, there's just so much bad news, I just thought, you know, here's some good news. Uh, about Some estimates about 400,000 Christians. Robbie Zacharias was there, Josh McDowell. Here's a picture. Uh, and I just want us to continue to pray. Something great happened there. Uh, and yet, I haven't seen anything uh, talked about. Have you? Have you? Have you heard about this? Yeah, wait by your TV. yeah, yeah. I haven't seen anything about it. I haven't heard anything about it. And yet, there's uh, some estimates are 400,000 Christians uh, showing our people of good faith. And uh, Mark Batterson is a pastor in Washington D.C. and some other guys. And I don't know. That's good news. I think if when people come together from every race and from every sector of our society and every group to come together in the name of Jesus and say, how can we come together? So it's called hashtag together 2016. So uh, I just uh, encourage you to maybe take a look at it. Uh, that's some good news uh, that we ought to celebrate, right? If you're on Facebook with us, uh, uh, it's uh, that, that uh, uh, particular uh, photo is, uh, is uh, there uh, for you to watch. And uh, so here we go. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John 15. John 15. We're going to be working through again this uh, section here on uh, the directions to joy. Now, if you'll notice in John 15 uh, that the first 10 verses uh, speak a good deal about abiding, and we're going to look at that. But it is interesting when you read a passage of Scripture, when you see Jesus make this statement at the end of verse, or in verse 11, uh, I'm sorry, getting the right chapter, Cliff. Here we go. These things I have spoken to you so that you may have my joy in you and that your joy may be full. So, so when he says these things, the demonstrative pronoun, these things I have said to you. Now, I said to you last week, uh, it's likely uh, that uh, in, the, in understanding how this demonstrative pronoun operates, that Jesus saying these things are the things that he started back in John, four, uh, John 13. This whole episode uh, begins back in John 13. Uh, or maybe, uh, because there is some transition from 14 to 15 in location as far as we can tell, it might be that the words from John 15, 1 to 10, which we're concentrating on right now, uh, I would say, in general, that I think that any of the words that Jesus says and teaches us are for us to experience the reality of joy. And so I'm asking us to look at this as what are the directions here to joy? What, what directions does Jesus give us that we might experience joy? Anybody like to have Jesus' joy and yours would be full? Any, anybody got that? Okay. Might, might not be a bad thing to have. This idea of joy. And so as I see that, I say, then when he says these things, he must refer to these things. That's deep, isn't it? That's, let that just wash right over you. I'm deep. I'm not deep. I'm just muddy. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the idea of directions. It made me think uh, this summer, Becky and I will uh, have been married 37 years. Uh, she's a saint. <clears throat> and uh, Yeah. 
she told some other day, we've been happily married for 32. And, and uh, I don't know if that's the front end or now. Well, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure that out. But I remember whenever uh, we were planning to get married, I was living in Houston, working at a church. My dad and family lived in Kentucky, and my brother was living in Wichita. So we all decided that we would meet in Wichita at my brother's little place he was staying at, and then we'd all get together and drive out to the end of the earth and uh, <laughs> together. And I remember uh, meeting up in Wichita and uh, having directions from Becky's family uh, that now I wonder, did they really not want me to make it? <laughs> Uh, because the directions were somewhat unusual. It talked about feedlots that I had never seen. It had talked about going north, and I'm from Houston. Is that right or left? Uh, you, north, what's that? Uh, so, you know, we'd strike out. And I remember on Highway 50 coming across there and doing uh, some traveling, and uh, we had traveled most of the morning and in the afternoon, and I, I just said, we're lost. And, and I remember uh, uh, this whole thing when we're driving along. We were driving on paved roads, then we're on dirt roads, then we're back on paved roads, and now we're back on a dirt road, and now we're back on a paved road. And I thought, this doesn't seem right. I remember I was driving an old Volvo I'd bought from my dad, and my dad was following me in a Mercedes. And I thought, these guys in these pickup trucks are looking at a bunch of city slickers. I remember stopping at one point and getting out of the car and walking back to my dad. And I said, I have no idea. I don't know where we are and I don't know what to do next. And we're standing on the side of the road right by a feedlot that still doesn't smell like money. And uh, <clears throat> doesn't, I've never smelled anything like that. Um, and we're standing on the side of the road and, and all of a sudden this pickup just darts in just like that. And, you know, I went, oh my gosh, we're going to get killed by some Kansas whoever's, you know. And a guy jumps out of the truck and says this, you lost? <laughs> I had to really restrain myself because I thought I'm in Kansas. I don't know where I am. And come to find out this guy was Becky's uncle. Dwayne, I, I, we, we still to this day never figured out why Dwayne was out on that highway. Uh, maybe he knew that Dale and David had given me bad directions and he thought, I better, I better go find him. And, and I remember this, this guy, you know, he was a very understated guy. You, you lost? <clears throat> sort of. <laughs> this is the same guy a few years later when I was out jogging one day in the middle of the day with shorts on, no shirt, a bandana and earphones in my ears, rolls up beside me in the same truck and he says, need a ride? <laughs> They'd never seen anybody exercise before, you know. I said, no, I'm out exercising. He went, what? They got enough exercise at work, you know, apparently. Yeah. But I never get, Dwayne just finally said, just follow me. I'll take you there. And I mean, it was through the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. It was amazing. I, I, I just thought, you know, I'm at a place where I need directions and I need them bad. And Becky always said, uh, which I thought was funny, if you look at her and look at me, this is how bizarre that is. She said, I thought you weren't going to come to the wedding. And I thought, are you kidding me? Have you seen me and seen you lately? <laughs> Nobody's after this, you know. We... We made it, though, and I got there. But I had to have some directions. I had to have some guidance. You know what? When we get to the point in our life 
that we don't have the joy that we'd like to have, or perhaps life has become joyless in a lot of ways. Maybe we're at a time, maybe we're at a place that we would be willing to listen to the directions of Jesus. Now, I'm not stupid. Well, some people might say, well, you are. Anyway, I mean, listen, just because Jesus said something doesn't mean that everybody's going to accept it. But I would say that people that have a sense of needing joy, that people that are having a sense of the need of finding some sense of joy in life might want to listen to what Jesus said here. Might just want to listen. So if you're one of those people, you say, you know what? Uh, the days we live in and the life we live, I'd like to have a little of that joy. I'm stunned with you said, my joy. My joy is what I'm going to give you. So we're going to look at that. So, so the idea here of joy, not happiness, not circumstances all lining up. I said that last week if you're interested. Happiness and joy are two different things. Joy is this understanding in my judgment of having a higher purpose in life than my circumstances. I'll say that again. Joy is having a higher purpose in life than my circumstances. For me, when I'm struggling, what, 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 well, what are you always trying to change in your life when you're not happy? Circumstances. circumstances. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to change my circumstances. I'm saying i got to get this fixed. Joy says I can have this higher purpose in life, this sense of meaning and purpose, regardless of the circumstances. If you want to look at that, it's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where, Jesus, where it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The cross was not a fun circumstance. For the joy, that the higher purpose, the sense of my life matters, my life counts. So we're going to look at that. What is, what is the path, to, to, if you will, to joy? I'm going to start here with this first one. Number one is a call to abide. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 3. And really uh, this understanding of the path to joy is to understand where life comes from when Jesus said, I'm the true vine. Know where life comes from. Second of all, we looked at is rest in the care of the Father. He said, and my Father's the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of the vine. Not me, not you. I said last week, I wonder if anybody did this. I told, did anybody, did anybody in here leave their stuff alone this week <laughs> and let the vine dresser do the work? You know, that's a big deal, isn't it? He said, my Father's the vine. He's the one that does the pruning. He's the one that does the cutting. He's the one who knows what he's doing. You know, you find that you can rest in the Father. Third, we looked at that and said, you can know, the, the, or you can, you, can be, you can be cleansed or purged by the words of Jesus. He said, you're already clean our word. So let's look at this, a call to abide. Verse 4. Our verse, uh, here we go. I keep looking at the wrong chapter here. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of its own unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. I, you know, I keep hearing Jesus say in my head, keep this clear, Cliff. <laughs> I'm the vine. You're the branch. He who abides in me and I am, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch, dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If, however, you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide 
in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now here's the, the, the kicker, if you will, or where, where it's going. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. So look here, when Jesus says it's a call to abide. It's a call to abide. Now I want to help you here with a little, a couple words here, but it's interesting that the word abide only shows up two or three other times in the New Testament. This is the highest concentration and the most occurrences of the word abide in the entire New Testament. Jesus is driving at something here. There's only like two other occurrences throughout the New Testament. And so Jesus is referring to something here of saying abide. Now, what does the word mean? Let's, let's think. It means, if you will, uh, to remain. It means don't move. <laughs> It means stay put. That's the word I want you to think about. The word stay put in me. That, that's, the, that's the translation of abide. It's meno or menete uh, in the New Testament. It's an imperative. I was reading Andrew Murray the other day. It's interesting. We often think of the imperatives of Jesus when he says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, I'll give you. That's, a, that's an imperative. You know what? This is an imperative. This is not a suggestion. This isn't a good idea. This is abide in me. We're going to see that in a little more detail. Stay put. Don't move away. Don't be pushed away from your confidence in Jesus. Stay put. That's the word. That's the idea. Jesus said, stay put in me. I'm going to try to give some details of what that may look like. You know, when I was thinking about that, I, I went to a seminar the other day about teaching and, and some other stuff, and I, I thought of a... I thought of a picture. You know, that's how we think. Uh, Aristotle said we think in pictures. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I thought, what, what would illustrate this? The idea of stay put. Don't move. Stay put. Remain. And I thought of this picture here. This is a picture, <clears throat> the 3rd Infantry, or 4th Infantry, at the guarding of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, these soldiers stay. Maybe you've seen it in Washington, D.C. if you've visited there and been there. Do you know where they're staying? You know what's going on right now while they're staying there? Hurricane Sandy. This is the picture. I got it off the uh, NPR um, uh, of Hurricane Sandy. And these guys, and I'm sure there are some women at times in that regiment, that say it's their honor and their privilege to stay. They never leave. It's in honor of those unknown soldiers who have died. When I think of the honor, when I think of the, the determination, I read a report that said they tried to get these guys to go in the hut during the storm. You know what they did? They stayed out. I mean, these, 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 I mean, these guys got short haircuts. You got to be careful with those guys. I mean, you meet a guy that's got a like that, be careful, okay? Don't be goofing around with those guys. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Stay put. I mean, there's a whole lot of reason to leave. It's raining like crazy. Here's another one. I, it's an older picture. You see all that snow on top of his hat? What, what in the world? Cause a man or a woman to do that. To stay put. Honor. Respect. Confidence. 
Let me ask you something. Do you and I have the same respect and confidence and honor for Jesus? I mean, this moving, I, I love those pictures. They're moving. They're very, they, they evoke a lot of feeling when you see them. I, I told Erica, Erica, here's a ex-military guy. I say now, I said, I want to warn you because I thought he'd just jump up and snap to attention. <laughs> it's an honor. It's great. Stay put. Jesus' hand, stay put. No matter what, no matter what happens, stay put in me. Now, what does that mean, obviously? It, it, it means relying. I'm going to give you several ways here, I think, that this means. When it says, abide in me, and, and I'm fascinated by this, and I in you. Let me, let me ask you, do you think Jesus is willing to hold up his end of the bargain? I in you? You know, the, the kicker here seems to be whether Cliff's going to stay put. He says, abide in me, and I in you. Isn't that amazing to think that, that Jesus we know is going to end up on His end of the deal? He's saying, you abide in me, I'm going to abide in you. I've told my students before that the most fascinating, flabbergasting claim that Christianity makes is not that we have a book, everybody's got a book. Not that we have truth, everybody's got truth. Not, not that we've got religious practices, everybody's got that. Christianity says that this God somehow through the power of the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. He's not just our model that we try to follow. How, how terrible is that? I mean, you know, I, I watch golf sometimes. I don't play, but I watch it. I like to make fun of them, you know. You know, come on. I'm telling you, I'm coming up with a new rule. Whenever they start putting it, yay! Those guys, they get mad. Somebody... I saw a guy the other day, click, punks, <laughs> in Jesus' name. <laughs> Listen, I can watch a golfer all day and try to follow what he or she's doing. It's not going to help me. You know what? If you could infuse me with some serum, though, of some great golfer that has all the muscular memory and the brain that works... Don't say that. <laughs> Be different, wouldn't it? See, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Can I give you some ways I think that might look? And I thought about putting it, but here it is. Stay put in your reliance upon Jesus as your source of life. Stay put in your reliance upon Jesus as your source of life. I, I've said this last few weeks, but I'll say it again. I think that sin is not just a behavioral matter. Sin is when we seek life in some other source other than God. Sin is when we're seeking life in some other source other than God. I asked you last week in application, you know, sometimes I like to give a test. <laughs> I asked you last week to watch your life during the week when circumstances happen or something occurs. Can it help reveal to you in those, in those pressure times what is your real source of life? You know, sometimes when people get bad news about their health, I'm not saying it's wrong to not feel 
bad about it. But what's the real source of your life? Some people are friends, and I, I'm not making light of this. I'm, I'm just saying. These, these are the kind of things that start elevating those kind of matters. You know, I've told you before that uh, I, uh, when we moved up here on the north side of town, I, I was, you know, going through all the processes after we'd made all the decisions. And I'm thinking, did I buy the house at the right time? Have I got enough equity like that? And it's like the Lord just kind of elbowed me one day and said, listen, the source of your life isn't the equity in your house. I am. I know that. <laughs> I know that. What's the source? I mean, this issue about abiding in Him is that we, we're, we're often looking for other things to give us life. Here's another way. Am I staying put in trusting Him to have the truth that I need for life. In staying put, am I trusting him to have the truth that I need for life? Listen, there's a lot of talk going on. There's a lot of ideas circulating. Do I, am I staying put to say, I believe that Jesus has the truth for life and my life, specifically. In, in relying upon him. Am I trusting Staying put that his way to live through living through me is the way to live. Is, is his way the way? Am I saying, you know what? I know, listen, I, I've told people before, I, if you aren't troubled by texts in the Bible, you're, you haven't read the Bible. If there aren't some texts in there that wear you out, or there aren't texts in there that you go, man, are you sure about that? You're not reading the Bible. Right? Yeah. This idea that it's all very simple and very easy and we got it all figured out is a bunch of baloney. But do I trust that he has the truth as I understand it to the best of my ability? Am I staying put there? Notice what he says. If you abide in me and I abide in you. A buddy of mine and I were talking one time and I said, you know, or this friend was saying, you know, my life was going on pretty good till Jesus came in. <laughs> you know, I, we, we've got this silly, sappy, hallmark kind of idea about Jesus. You know, he pats everybody on the head, you know. But when he comes to live and abide in us, and we look to him as the source of our life, and we understand he has the truth that we need, and we're trusting he's the way of our life, some things can get adjusted, Right? This guy said, you know, I, my life was going pretty well until Jesus came around. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Listen, where are we going? Joy. The emphasis on abiding, stay put. So let me ask you this. I, you know, I can't figure everything out here on this, and you, you know that. But what if by Wednesday you're right down on a piece of paper one specific way in which you're staying put in your relationship with Jesus? One way, just one way to say, you know what? I think we talked about source. We talked about truth. We talked about the way. Is Jesus the source of my life? How is that? Is Jesus the truth that I'm going to live by? Or is Jesus the way that I'm going to live as he lives his life in me? Find one. To say, you know what? I, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Here's one of the ways I know I'm staying put. 
Now, the reason for that is this, I think. Number one, staying put and fruitfulness. Look at five and six there. I'm the vine, now you are the branch who abides in me, and I and you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up to gather them and cast them in the fire and they're burned. To the matter of fruitfulness here is not effort, it's not trying, it's abiding. It's staying put. I remember talking to Becky's dad, he was a big wheat farmer. And uh, he kind of endured me for several years till he found out I wasn't leaving. And <laughs> we kind of got a little closer. I remember talking to him one time about uh, wheat farming. And, uh, you know, I, uh, my brother-in-law still does. It, it takes a lot of faith in a lot of ways. Um, but I often thought about this idea of fruitfulness and abiding that. I said to Arlen one time, I said, Arlen, after you plant your crop and you, you know, do all the stuff you do for it, what do you do? He says, we wait. Really? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we, we just wait. I said, do you ever go out there and dig around the ground a little bit just to see how it's doing? <laughs> and he looked at me like... You know, <clears throat> abiding, you know, putting the seed in the ground and trusting and depending that as it is abiding in there, it's going to... I told him, I said, Arlen, I would have the tendency, a little ADD here, to every once in a while go to a field and find an area to just say, let me dig around and see if it's actually growing. Abide. You know, there are some times in our life when we just have to realize we're abiding, we're resting, we're trusting in Him. And we're going to leave the fruit to Him. You know, are, are you like me? I mean, I want to see, you know, I want to plant something tonight and a 14-foot oak tree be in my yard tomorrow. You know? Jesus is saying here, if you stay put in fruitfulness, the, the, the image here is that if you remain in me, if you abide in me, you can bear fruit. If, if you abide in me, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I, I, I didn't really believe that years ago, did you? I didn't believe that. I'm an American. I believe you can pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I practice what we call social Darwinism. <laughs> Try harder, right? I didn't believe that. Now, I don't mean Jesus is not trying to say, you know, you can't play baseball or, you know, you can't have a job. He's saying, you remember the branch, not the vine. You don't have the life, Cliff. I'm the one that provides the life that produces the fruit. We're going we're gonna to look at what that, that may look like. The fruit. The matter of fruitfulness has to, be, has to do with abiding, not micromanaging, not trying to, to mess around with it. I, I remember reading a story years ago about a guy named Hudson Taylor. He was the first missionary out of England to go to China. And if you haven't read his life story, you ought to. His name is Hudson Taylor. Uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, Christian that if you read his story, you'll realize that he went to the mission field full of them and vinegar, you know, like we all do. And realized that something was wrong. Uh, what's fascinating was when I was in seminary at Asbury Seminary, I took a class uh, with Dr. Wong, uh, who we all lived in total terror of. Uh, Dr. Wong's favorite word in lecture was devil. <laughs> and he barked him out. Uh, boy, he was tough. But right beside me was a guy named James Hudson Taylor V. 
This is Hudson Taylor's great, great, great grandson. And I told him, Jim, I I just have to tell you, as I made the connection, I'm just thinking how wonderful. Hudson Taylor writes in his work that when he went to the mission field to follow God and to serve Him, there was no fruitfulness. Nothing was happening. No, 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 nobody getting one to Jesus. Uh, constant pressure and stress. And he was writing his sister and others back and forth and making this statement that he thought, where's the fruitfulness? She wrote a letter back to him, and as they corresponded, you could read this in his book, where he said, how is it that one increases their faith and fruitfulness? And she's made this statement. He said, it cha- and it did, it changed his life. He said, not by striving, nor pressing, nor working, Listen to this. I know it's going to sound a little freaky. But by resting in the faithful one. Notice that. Here's the idea. Not by trying, not by straining, not by effort, but by resting in the faithful one. How amazing here that Hudson Taylor makes this observation That fruitfulness is not trying harder. You know, this is where we we get mixed up. It's not just trying harder. It's by resting and remaining, if you will, in the faithful one. Now notice what Jesus said here. If you don't, what's going to happen? Verse 6. What does it say there? If you don't, what's going to happen? Yeah. Now notice this here. I've got a statement up here I want you to look at. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather to be burned. Well, it's obvious. If the branch separates from the vine, what happens? Dies. I wrote here, I want you to look at this. This truth is not hostility on God's part. It's reality. It's not God saying, hey, boy, I'm going to get you. No, no, this is not hostility. This is reality. If a branch decides, I don't need to be attached anymore, I'm, I'm doing pretty well on my own, what's going to happen? It's going to die. Robert Mulholland's written a new book, I think I've recommended some of you, called The Deeper Journey. Mulholland says it like this. If you decide to go out on a ledge four stories off the ground and decide to step off, it's not because gravity's got it in for you. <laughs> Gravity's not mad at you. It's not upset with you. It's not trying to punish you. Gravity is just operating. (laughs) The idea here, Jesus is saying, look, this is not hostility on Jesus' part. This isn't him saying, you know, if you do this, I'm going to get you. He's simply saying, you get disconnected from me, there's no life. If you get disconnected from me, there's no life here. There's the understanding of that. The fruit of our life, if we have Jesus there, is this. So what would be the fruit? Let me give you some fruit ideas here. It says this. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. If you don't, you won't. Here's it. Let me suggest this. The fruit of your life. You use some of the, there's surely more. How about a desire to know and please God? If I remain in the vine, if I'm a branch remaining in the vine, is it possible that one of the fruits of my life is a growing desire to know And please God. I mean, when I grew up, this uh, verse about fruit was always about winning people to Jesus. I'm not saying that isn't there. I'm simply saying that 
these guys, when they're hearing this in the garden, probably would not make that connection. They're agricultural guys. They understand this. Jesus said, look, if you remain in me, there will be fruit and results of your life. What would that be? A desire to know and please God. Is that one of the fruits of your life that's occurring? I, I've, as I've gotten older, I realize that, that there's lots of times, maybe when I've done things, and they may have been good things, but I didn't do them because I wanted to please God. I may have done them to be seen. Can you imagine that? Or I may have done them to make somebody else happy. Or I may have done them in order to just appear to be a good guy. As I've gotten older and I'm getting older, it's getting more and more clear to me that one of the things that I hope I'm growing in is that what I'm doing is I want to do it to please God. Not in some, I'm not earning anything. I'm not, I'm not getting you know, brownie points or anything. If it were, I'm way out of balance anyway. You know, if it's like this. The, the, the idea of saying, is what I'm doing, the fruit of my life is the result of abiding in Jesus. Is it because I want to please Him? It's kind of gotten into my TV watching. Didn't like that. Didn't care much for that. But I'm watching a couple of television programs here and I'm thinking, would this be pleasing to God? Now usually when you answer that question, or ask that question, you know the answer. So I've done something. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm not going to tell you what to watch on TV. Right? Yet. No. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to watch on TV. I'm going to say, but what is the fruit of our life? Is it a desire to know? Are you staying put there? Are you growing in that area? Are you, are you developing? Is that fruit of life getting sweeter and sweeter as you grow to say, Lord, I'd like to do this to please you, not, not just do it. You know, the other day, I, I know I'm talking out of my hat here, but I mowed the yard the other day. Come on, stop. No. <laughs> And I, Becky and I were talking about that. I said, look, I wanted to do that to please you, to help you. She had a big day, lots of things going on at the church. I've been on my 13th week of vacation and uh, figured I need to do something. You know, I know I can do things for Becky just because I have to or should do or they're the right thing to do or they're important to do or they need to be done. But it sure seems to make a lot of difference when I do it because I really want to please her. I, really, I just want to ask you, are you growing in that? Am I growing in that? To where it's a matter of pleasing, not simply, listen to me now, pleasing, not simply obedience. Because it's the right thing to do. Here's another area of fruit in your life. He says, if you abide, there will be, there'll be fruit in your life. I look at this and I say, am I growing in my ability to respond to God's correction? Am I growing in my ability to respond to God's correction? I think when I first started following Jesus that, that I always thought that when God was correcting me, He was mad at me. But then I started reading the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. God corrects those who are His children. Revelation 3, those whom I love, I correct and rebuke. 
I, I begin to realize that God wasn't correcting me like my football coach or the people I'd had in my life. But that he was correcting me for my good. And as I begin to grow in my ability to receive that, then failure and difficulty began to bring real growth in my life. See, I think some of us, when we, God points something out, it just about destroys us, doesn't it? Craters us. That, that, that sense of shame whenever God shows something. And we go, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, I remember I told you, Louis Palau always said, you know, God can never be disillusioned about you, right? He never had any illusions about you to begin with. <laughs> he can't, God can't be disillusioned with you. He, he knows everything about you and me. And, and the idea that I'm growing in my capacity to be corrected in a healthy meaningful way so that my life continues to grow and develop in its capacity. I really want to ask you to think about this. I, some of us, at times when we are corrected, the reason the fruit in our life doesn't grow is because we just get stopped right there. We feel bad, don't we? We feel shame. We, we feel like, how could I have done that? You know? This growing ability to respond to correction in a healthy way. Go look at Hebrews 12. I'm telling you, it says there, every child he receives, he corrects. And those that aren't his... By the way, you know that God doesn't correct the devil's kids. Right? Right? You know that, right? He doesn't correct them. He, it says he only disciplines those who are his children. My professor in college years ago, I probably told you this, but boy, I was sitting there as a 21-year-old kid with all kinds of shame built up in me and all kinds of senses that when I failed, God was you know, coming down on me like a D9 bulldozer. And he said this, the greatest evidence that you're a child of God. And I'm perked up, you know. I'm waiting to hear some things. He said, the greatest evidence that you're a child of God is that when you fail or you sin, you receive correction. Go read it. Those who receive not correction, he says, are illegitimate. It's what it says. Those who do not receive correction are illegitimate. This idea, am I, is, is the fruit of my... So some of us, the, the fruit that's growing, once we fail or do something, we get so paralyzed... We stop growing. Does that make sense? You ought to watch your reaction when you get corrected. Hebrews 12 says there's one of two. One is, take it lightly. You blow it off. Ah, eh, well, everybody blows it. Everybody does it. Hebrews 12 says, don't take lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't take it lightly. Don't blow it off. Don't say, well, everybody does this and that's just the way it is and I'm human. And, you know, we hear all those things. There's some people like that. That's why they don't grow. That's why the fruitfulness isn't occurring. They just blow it off. Ah, well, here's the other one. Go, watch, go read this one. Nor faint when you're rebuked by Him. See, that's me. That's some of you. Oh, I'm never going to get this straight. How God's never going to be able to use me. 
God, God is fed up with me. And I, I got a lot of good reasons for it. <laughs> don't you? See, it says don't faint when you're corrected. Got any fainters in here? I'm one. I'm so wound up with performance, some shame. I'm a mess. I'm surprised y'all even come here. <laughs> Here's another one. Fruit in your life. A growing life of gratitude. A growing life of gratitude. When Jesus said, if you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. I remember reading Jonathan Edwards, who was an old Puritan. Well, I guess he was not that. He was a Puritan. He was old, but he's a Puritan. Okay, okay here we go. I'm out of school. I got too many voices going. Edwards, who was a brilliant, maybe, maybe one of the smartest uh, um, theologians that ever, he was like born in America. Uh, Edwards wrote in his book called Religious Affection. It's a great book. It's hard to read, but it's a good book. Um, he said that after he had been a Christian for years, for many years, that there would be times when he would reflect on his life and how God had forgiven him and when he had sinned again and forgiven him or restored. Edwards said, and it's hard to imagine because this guy's a real tightened up New England Puritan. Pretty, pretty rigid. But he said he would at times go into his closet and wail when he stopped and thought about the goodness of God to him. Wail. This sense of gratitude that said, I, I've told you, um, when I die, because having no kids, we'll have my funeral in a phone booth. And, uh, you know, we will. Or there may be students saying, I just want to make sure he is. <laughs> I'm going to have at the door no wooden stakes. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I don't really have... Um, I mean, there are a lot of questions. I mean, evil in the world, those are big, you know, monster issues. But the, <clears throat> the question I'm going to ask Jesus is this. Why were you so good to me? Why were you so good to me? Those other things can go. I'm not interested in theodicy. I'm not, I'm not concerned about eschatological timetables. We'll have a class for that up there somewhere. I'm going to argue like crazy. I, I, why have you been so good to me? I know a lot of you have had problems and difficult. We've all had trouble. But look around this room. Think about your own life. The fruit of gratitude. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you're going to bear a lot of this. And I think that as I watch people and see them, that the longer they walk with Jesus and the longer they live with him, they become more grateful and more, not less, more grateful. 
Here's another fruit. I, I'll shut up. We've got to hurry. We never do, but we should. That'd be a nice, nice idea. I, I think if I'm reading what Jesus is saying here and understand the rest of Scripture, that one of the fruits of our lives is that we begin to care about others. And, and I, you know, that, that could be people that aren't followers of Jesus. It's the poor. It's the, it's the disenfranchised. It's, it's people who are really in trouble. I, I used this statement before, and I, I want to be careful with it, but uh, if we're not careful, I think as Americans, we can practice what some have called social Darwinism. Survival of the fittest. I'm reading a book right now called Our Kids. It's by a, a researcher out of Yale. It's like a friend of mine said the day in southeastern Oklahoma. He said, where's your daughter go? He said, Yale. He said, where does your daughter go to school? <laughs> You'll get that in a minute, Stan. <laughs> I've been waiting to use that one. <laughs> this guy's from Yale. And I'm a, I'm a fairly, you know, people need to be responsible and people need to go to work. And, you, you know, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm there in those areas. But I, but, and we were talking last night, I, I read a report that children who do not experience what they call rebound before the age of four, meaning that when they do something, a goofy parent or grandparents go, oh, aren't you good, right? That's called rebound kid does something stupid, smiles, and they, you know, you think they're Albert Schweitzer. And uh, that's called rebound. There is physiology that proves that children that do not get that fail to develop their brain. Fail to have impulse control. And have failures in their motor skills in their growth. You know, Wesley often said this, and, and I haven't always practiced it as well as I should. I'm learning. Th this idea of caring for others. Wesley said this, all holiness is social in nature. All of it. Holiness isn't you praying by yourself at your house in your office and memorizing scripture verses. That's part of it. But if that doesn't make you a better husband, or a better wife, or a better friend, or a better citizen, or a better person to care for others. It's a bunch of baloney. It's just about me. Wesley said, all holiness is social in nature. Are you developing? Is your life, is my life developing as we bear this fruit, a concern for others? You know, I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't, I don't know if it, how it's your kids or at work or in your neighborhood or in our city or in our state or in our world. What does that fruit look like? It looks like to me that it's the result of a caring and concern for others that comes, I think, out of gratitude. 
and thankfulness for what God has given us. Jesus said, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, again, it doesn't mean you can't go to work and do those kind of things. But Jesus, I think, is relating here. There is no fruit that you can develop on your own. This is not try harder. This isn't work at it. This is abide in the vine. Abiding. So how are you abiding? Notice here. He's just saying, look, if you, if you Cliff, get separated from the, from the vine, you're going to die, period. Again, it's not hostility. It's what? Reality. So what? Stay what? Put. Stay put. I'm going to hurry to this last next one and we'll see. Staying put in prayer. Notice what Jesus said in 15.7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I told you if you read the Bible very long, it's going to give you trouble. Notice here Jesus making a statement here, I think, when He's saying, if you allow my words to abide in you, and I in you, you ask what you will. These ideas of, could, could it be the words that Jesus is saying here, of saying, you've got to stay put in my words. Stay put in my words. My words are to stay in you. This does not mean I can quote Jesus a verse or a statement and that I'm abiding inside and then I get what I want. It seems to me when he says, if my words abide in you, they stay put, they're guiding, directing your values, your desires, the things that you choose. His word. This isn't just scripture memory. This is they're abiding in me. And you know, I, I wrote here uh, some years ago, I had some students say to me that uh, no longer take my classes. <laughs> I've always been really interested in uh, the epistles. Uh, they're more logical. They're less story. I, I, have, I get hung up in stories, you know. So I've always liked the epistles. And uh, I studied them. And I had a student say to me one time, and it really shocked me, and it made me back up. He said this, Cliff, do you love Paul more than you love Jesus? I said, what's your name again? <laughs> and what's your major? You know, I went back to my office and I thought, are the, and I'm not, I'll tell you, in theological circles, there's a big argument about Paul and Jesus. You don't need to know about it, but it's there. That there's a big argument in theological circles about Paul and Jesus. Are they really on the same page? I think they are. But it made me go back to my office and say, are the words of Jesus abiding in me? Are they, in fact, the words that I abide in, listen to, and value in my life? Or am I spending all my time with Paul? Because it's nice and, nice and theological. And what does Jesus mean here? I don't know. <laughs> this statement, I mean, this is hard. It must mean here, if you abide in me in my words, you can ask whatever you wish. And it'll be done for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, this, this is one of those 
you know, a, a guy named years ago wrote a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. The only sense I can make out of this is this. That insofar as my life is directly lined up with the words of Jesus, I can ask in line with that. Did Jesus promise to make all of us wealthy? Nope. Did Jesus heal everybody in Galilee? Nope. I mean... You can make this into magic if you want to. Where I say the words, do the incantation, and then expect the result. It seems to me to be more than that. That His words really begin to abide and live in me to create the desires, the interest, and the concerns. I will just tell you this in my own life, and I'm not the example, I'm just telling you. The longer I've lived with Jesus the more my desires seem to be moving toward His kingdom and His concerns and less about my kingdom and my concerns. Okay? I think this is true, what Jesus said. I simply think it's deeper than an incantation. I think it's deeper than Cliff wanting to get out of a problem. I think it's deeper than Cliff being uncomfortable because some circumstances have gotten rough. This is about understanding his words, his kingdom, and his values. To the extent that whatever my circumstances are would bring glory to God. Well, we got to go. There's another one here, and we'll look at it later. Where Jesus says this thing here, if you abide in me and you bear much fruit, you're going to glorify my Father in heaven. There's something here about our lives that's bigger than us. So I want to ask you this week, what if in your prayer time, just, just, just this right here, what if in your prayer time this week, identify one of Jesus' words in which you are clearly abiding. You say, you know what? This, here's a word, here's a statement that Jesus, I know for a fact I am clearly abiding. Or, or also, also identify one of Jesus' words you might begin to abide in this week. To say, you know what? I know, here's a word, here's a statement that Jesus made that I need to abide in this week. I'm sorry I went a little long. Let's pray real quick and I'll get you out of here. Lord Jesus, uh, you help us and you confuse us at times. I really mean that. Uh, you, it sometimes it's hard for us to understand all that you've said we're trying our best. But we know you said stay put. And so that's what we're doing. We're staying put. We're abiding in you this week. And hopefully next week and the week to come. We ask that you would help us as we apply these truths to our lives. As we allow you to work in our lives. That much, much fruit will be the result. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.